The Canon administration has had bold ambition to radically change the government and the prospects for our economic future. But halfway through the government's term in office, what meaningful change can they point to? I'm joined by political commentator Alistair Ramsey. It's a while since we've spoken, Alistair, yes. but uh, plenty, plenty been happening. Um, and two and a half years into the Canon administration, are you impressed? Um, I don't know if I'm impressed. I'm certainly struck by how different this uh, administration is. Um, it's unprecedented, I think, in, in a number of ways um, in, in, in terms of actually having a populate, an increased population target, a focus on development, um, a, a kind of high spending approach. They don't seem to be worried too much about what they're spending. Um, the political churn, the, the ministers coming and going, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like that. Um, and then the shake-up of the civil service. You had a, a purge on the, of the senior ranks on the back of the ransom affair, um, the importation of a lot of people from outside the island at senior levels, and this idea that what, what the civil service needs is more private sector influence. So you're getting these so-called NEDs, which is Scottish slang for hooligan, by the way. I don't know if anybody <laughs> knew that. Um, into the cabinet office. And NEDs are... Not, um, well, here they're um, non-executive directors. Um, in Scotland, they're um, non-educated delinquents, but that's <laughs> that's a that's a, a, a side issue. Well, um, I'm sure that won't be the case in, in the island. No, I would think not. Um, but they could have been getting some quite interesting applicants if, <laughs> I, if, they, if that advert was seen on the west coast of Scotland. Um, and the, the the Neds are to advise on governance, which is what the old-fashioned civil servants were there for. So it's a it's a very radical approach. Um, which I don't think we've seen the like of in modern times. So, so effectively, then we've had the, the the revolution, and we should start seeing some quite radical change happening now in terms of policy direction. Now that we have this, um, I suppose, that chief officer group and council of ministers shaped in the 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 form of of Alf Cannon's uh, desires. Well, yes, I, I think it's, pro it's probably too early to see what actually happens. I know the Chief Minister is very keen to point to uh, the, the fruits of the economic strategy already, that there's an increase in working population, increase in government revenue on the back of that, and uh, increased housing. How much of that might have happened anyway is, is, is a question. Because um, you would expect, after uh, the, the constraint of COVID, the, you know, the necessary constraint that uh, we all ha had to deal with, mm. that there would be a, a, a bounce in terms yes, of economic yeah, output yeah. afterwards. And, and that's one of the issues, I think, with this administration, is, that, is the, the difficulty in, in getting to the, the, the detail um, and, and finding out, you know, getting just a, a bit more depth in terms of explaining what's happening, how it's going to work. And I think with the population strategy, the, the, the increased population, the target for that in particular, I don't think the public are on board with that. I think they don't understand how that's supposed to work when you've got public services under a lot of strain already, that you, the cure is to produce 
a, a greater population. Um, and if there is a rationale for that, I don't think it's um, cut through to the general public. Because it always used to be the case when the Isle of Man was doing well, we had an increase in the economically active portion of, well, new uh, people coming into the island, economically mm. active people coming into the island because the economy was doing well and we needed the people. Yeah. But it seemed, certainly from the messaging, and I suspect the messaging has changed uh, quite radically. Uh, we're not allowed to talk about U-turns, but uh, yeah. um, it, it's it's a different target now. It's about economically active people as opposed yeah. to yeah. 15,000 more people by uh, 2035. And I guess in it. fairness that it always was about the economically active. I think what's interesting in the past was that the population increase, as you say, uh, more members of the working population, that was a byproduct of a successful economy. What we're doing here is actually making the byproduct the, the, the primary goal. So you're kind of reversing the relationship. And as I say, I, I think the ordinary members of the public it's always hard to tell, but but I think they are particularly disenchanted with this government. And of course, two and a half years into the Cannon administration, when the election took place, we were hearing of a housing crisis. We were mm. hearing of people really struggling to make ends meet. Not everybody in the island. Obviously, there's a lot of wealthy people living on the island, but there were, there's quite a few people who are really struggling. Do you think that they will have seen any significant change in the last two and a half years and if they haven't are they going to be convinced by the I suppose jam tomorrow promises of the Canada administration I don't know I mean there has been there have been some changes um, around ho housing support schemes and so on um, and there has been quite a lot of development underway but as you say, housing was clearly the, the priority at the election. Its treatment since has not reflected that. I mean, if you really were primarily concerned about housing, you wouldn't focus on bringing more people in, and you would focus on a particular type of housing, not just any development. Certainly, the Chief Minister is quick to point to uh, Chris Thomas, uh, Douglas what is it, Douglas Central, it's called now, isn't it? Yeah. Doug Douglas Central, MHK Chris Thomas, who was the chair of the housing board, but uh, resigned uh, in a fairly dramatic form uh, after he'd been sacked yeah. as minister. Um, but uh, Mr Cannon certainly refers to him as, as far too much focused on, on detail and analysis, or mm. I think an analysis, by, uh, paral paralysis by analysis is the, is the, yes. the catchphrase. Um, is that fair, do you think? Um, I, I think that, that um, Chris's style is very analytical, and I think at the other the other end of the of the of the poll, you've got the chief minister, who is very broad brush, and doesn't want to be bothered too much with the with the nitty gritty. Um, so there's the, yes, there's quite a contrast in styles there. But then I suppose equally you could say um, that whereas the analysis that Chris Thomas was doing was starting to bear some fruit mm. um, you look at the, the, the radical revolution that the uh, chief ministers created both in terms of the politics but, but specifically in terms of the civil service and you know we've only just completed that uh, bit of revolution um, so we're still waiting really to see 
the impact of, of the big uh, Canon um, planned yeah. uh, government. I think, I mean, two and a half years in politics is, isn't um, very long to, to achieve any, any meaningful change. So, as I said, we, we, we need to give it a bit more time. And but then the same would apply to the housing board, which Chris Thomas yep. was chair. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so then, in in terms of the objectives of the Canon administration, quite clearly, what they want to do is grow the economy because they want more taxes, because mm. they want to continue to fund the services that we've mm. we've got used to. Uh, a number of uh, Timbald members have referred to the overspend of government departments as underfunding, and when questioned about the uh, when they when did they know that they were going to overspend quite so dramatically, uh, they said, "Well, we knew at the last budget, um, which it was you know <laughs> announced six weeks before the beginning of of this financial year." Um, does that? Um, tell us something about the the mindset of Timbald members at the moment. Yes, I, I think a lot of the, the the old conventions around budgeting um, have been left in in the past, and some people might say that's the best place for them. But this, what appears to be a very relaxed approach to to massive overspending. Um, I mean, 150 million from reserves to prop up this year's budget. Um, and it's almost as if they, they'll carry on doing that until the economy and the population levels pick up to make the revenues fit the size of what government is doing. Now, that would have been anathema to the more conservative-style um, politicians like Eddie Teer. Um, you know, it, just, it's, it is such a marked contrast to, to the approach in the past. And yet, because you, I guess because you've got a... A relatively new and experienced uh, house for them it's the norm there is though a a view and perhaps it's a, a not an unreasonable view to to, to hold that uh, austerity uh, budgeting which perhaps is what you could mm. describe um as the uh, the, the approach taken uh, certainly during eddie tia's time mm. as, as treasury minister um isn't successful because austerity tends to slow economic growth down which then slows the increase in your tax take which then means that you have to cut yeah. even further yeah it's certainly politically very difficult i think what's what strikes a lot of members of the public about this administration is the is there doesn't seem to be even any real token effort to 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 restrain any aspect of government the staff numbers keep keep growing there's no real explanation around that. People see that, as I say, you know, dipping into reserves, um, very large amounts of money being given to developers for the development of, of brownfield sites. Um, it, at the very least, it, 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 we need a bit more explanation as to, to what the rationale behind all that is, I think. And the we know of the 150 million that's been required this year and possibly that's it's going to be more than that because uh, what the treasury minister was able to tell us in i think it was in january Timbald was that there was 40 million more in terms of tax take mm. um, but uh, the overspend or underfund depending yes. on on your 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 viewpoint 
um, were more than the the increased uh, tax take. So so actually, the 150 million will probably be about 155 million, and we 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 don't have 155 million left in the the usable part of our reserves. No, and and yet and despite all this apparent overspending, the the issue of funding the health service, for example, which is clearly under a lot of strain, hasn't been addressed. That was identified as as part of the solution for the future of health years ago, um, that that we would have to come up with a new... We we weren't paying enough, basically, for what we get, and that would have to be dealt with. That's been um, kicked down the the road. In fact, along with the whole tax strategy, they've really been dragging their feet on that. There was, though, an increase, uh, an above-inflation increase added to the health budget which apparently was supposed to at least begin the process of uh, redressing yeah. the balance but from from what the members of the health department were telling me on perspective mm. uh, the uh, it would appear that that was 30 million you know, the, this year's budget was 30 million shy of yeah. what was needed i mean it's always going to be short but there's a long term strategic issue there that the demand on the health service will grow and grow with an aging population. And I suppose that's one of the reasons why we want to get more economically active younger people in. But that that issue has was recognized years ago um, and hasn't yet, even now, been, been addressed because it's going to be difficult. People will have to pay more or the, the Manx Care will have to do unpopular things like, you know, increasing prescription charges or, or you know, limiting the, the amount of care that's freely available. One of the other difficult areas, of course, is looking after uh, people who become um, too frail to look after mm. themselves in, in residential care or nursing care. And that is one of the thorny issues that um, certainly the health minister is, is keen to promote at the moment. He's, he's, he has a consultation and, yeah, and is, yeah. is looking to see uh, whether some miracle can happen whereby... We don't have to spend an awful lot more by way of uh, taxes, but uh, we will somehow miraculously fund uh, this area because that, again, has been a, a growing area of um, uh, you know, uh, expense for, for, for the health department. Yes, yes. And I think one of the options that's been put to the public is, would you like all this to be provided free so that you don't have to sell your house or anything? And I think the answer to that will be yes, please. Well, that makes the the funding question even even more significant. So, on the back of that, then you know the the funding of of that provision at least will have to be looked at. But I think one of the the key things for me about this last two and a half years has been that because we now have such a radical, um, focused, some would say, blinkered kind of government that that has got a very clear, strong agenda. It really highlights the fact that we none of us voted for this. None of us voted against it either because th- this agenda was never presented to the electorate at the general election two and a half years ago. And it highlights that what I think is a fundamental flaw in our system, that the public do not vote for their government. They vote for individual representatives, but the government then is formed by this kind of miraculous process after a general election. And it raises the question of 
how does this economic strategy, which is 10 to 15 years, how does that continue without some kind of endorsement at the next general election? And how does that debate work when you've got all sorts of independents, presumably, um, who will be kind of distancing themselves from government and, you know, standing as independents and... And, what, and of course, you know. that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because many people, well, council of ministers will be made up of many different political persuasions. And some may be completely behind, 100% behind every single aspect of mm. the government plan. But most, I'm guessing, will have had to compromise on, on one or other of their, uh, their core uh, beliefs or principles to allow them to be part of, yeah. of the collective, which is the Council of Ministers, which effectively makes most of the decisions affecting our lives as, as members of the public. So come election time, it will be difficult to see how the government plan could form the basis of the manifesto of the existing ministers. Uh, maybe some ministers would be able to do that, but uh, other ministers may uh, believe that a different approach is, is, is a better yeah. one. And this comes back to the fact that, I mean, people are very keen to, to talk about the civil service being unaccountable, but our politicians, in a collective sense, are unaccountable. There's no, there's no collective accountability, no collective responsibility to the public. They, they act collectively when they're in office, but when they present themselves to the public, they present themselves as an individual who may or may not have been entirely happy with what's happened over the last five years. So your opportunity to register a verdict on what's happened is very limited. And I think given the radical nature of the economic strategy and, and the other approaches that around this administration, there has to be, at the next election, people have to be clearly pinned down as to whether, on balance, they are happy with what's happened in the last five years and not get away with the usual kind of waffle and evasion that, that, um, that, that happens in the past. Surely our members of the House of Keys wouldn't, couldn't reasonably be accused of that. Well, not all of them, but, I mean, they're politicians and it, it just <laughs> it goes with the job, doesn't it? You know? and, and how do you, how, I mean, how do you resolve this? Um, I mean, you've, you've sort of hinted at it there, but uh, in essence, people can say whatever they like come election time. Mm. And what maybe uh, maybe this is a, a cynical uh, thing to say, but um, what tends to happen is that people who say the things that most appeal to mm. to the electors are the ones that get elected, whereas the ones perhaps that are a little bit more honest with the public and say, actually, you know what? You might want this, but if you yeah. if, if you do this, then these are the consequences. Perhaps uh, those sorts of um, uh, rational and pragmatic voices are, are, are less uh, popular when it comes to uh, casting your vote. Yeah, and that's an issue everywhere, isn't it? I guess it's that that kind of the, the danger of populism, that kind of appealing to the, the more th thoughtless aspect of of people. But I. I, I I haven't got an answer as to how you get round this lack of collective accountability. Party um, politics? Party politics, I'm, I'm not convinced that that would, would work. It's never taken root here properly. And it can be very divisive, um, in, in, especially in, in a small community. I used to, uh, and I'm not convinced either by direct public election of a chief minister, 
but I still think there could be some mileage in prospective candidates for chief minister actually declaring themselves early on before a general election. Now, I know that's sticking your neck out, but if it was an actual requirement, that would give a focus for the subsequent election campaign. You know, but then are, the, are you for him or are you for him? The obvious draw, drawback of that is that if you do stick your neck out, then perhaps um, the public will say, actually, you know what, uh, we, we don't want these super confident people um, no, as our MHKs. And, therefore, and then you end up with mm. a situation where none of them, uh, none of the people who've stood, have, have said yeah. they wanted to be chief minister. So you, you, we, it uh, is it is the, the, the old Manx crab, isn't it? Mm. You know, we'll, we'll show him, thinks he's going to be chief minister. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a difficult yeah. one. So so what do you expect to see in in the budget uh, that's coming up um, in a couple of weeks? To, to I don't I don't know, really. I, I think the, the, the focus will be on how much more of the reserves are they going to have to use to keep the show on the road? So that's the kind of headline figure that people will be looking for. And also, I think, you know, we're going to hear more about the long-awaited tax strategy. How bold and how radical will that be? No reference in, in there to rates, mm. we're, we're told by the the, ah. uh, the Treasury Minister, which seems like a, mm. a missed opportunity. Well, local authority reform generally has fallen off the agenda, hasn't it? And, and we're seeing a few reminders at the moment as to why perhaps it shouldn't have fallen off the agenda. And there's questions about the kind of political viability of, of, of some of the some of these organizations but I think um, yes it'll be in, the tax strategy in particular will be interesting because I my sense is that the Treasury Minister w would like to be more radical than he's being allowed to be um, I think he's possibly more to the left than some of his colleagues and maybe his immediate colleague um, so I think that there's a quite an interesting background to, there Yes, and obviously, much of our income tax strategy is is based on international uh, taxation uh, general agreement as to mm. as to how taxation should should be, in, in particularly in relation to companies, because of course, companies barely pay anything uh, in terms of taxation no. to the Isle of Man. Well, some companies do, but the stand mm. the standard is yeah. is zero, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and of course, we. One, one area where companies could pay taxes in relation to local taxation rates as, as we, mm. we know them here on the island and uh, that's off the agenda VAT we know is not controlled by the Isle of Man we have mm. a, the, 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 the reciprocal agree, agreement with the UK uh, so, so we run out of, of options to do very much radical when it comes to taxation yeah. Yes I think I mean you, you, you could if you were um if you were really radical in, in that sense, uh, do something at the kind of higher levels. And of course, you've got the tax cap. And interestingly enough, the current chief minister, when he became treasury minister a few years ago, he he kind of cut down on the tax cap a bit. So he was uh, quite uh, active on that front then. So no, it's, uh, you're right, it, they are very constrained, actually. Sadly, we are almost at the end of the of, of the program now. Um, do, what what do you think we're going to look back at in two and a half years' time, election time? Oh, right. Um, I I think 
it'll be hard not to look back on where our finances are and how much of government's reserves have gone um, and how much government has grown. And I think, I think the financial story is going to be a very strong one. Alongside that, we might have bigger population, a more vibrant economy, more development and so on. But it, the, the strategy is 10, 15 years. So we may not see the fruits of the strategy by the end of this administration, but we may see the cost of it, and that would leave them in quite an awkward position, I think. That was political commentator Alistair Ramsey. I'm Phil Gorn. Got a Thanks for listening.